Hi, I'm John Murray, and you're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time. Hope you're all keeping well. Hope you're all staying inside and uh, not going too crazy. Uh, my name's Luke Edwards, and on the line we have Rob Worrell. Hello, Rob. Yeah, hi, Luke. We don't normally see him at this time. Well, he's not he's not near his house at this time on a Saturday afternoon when we're recording it. It's Chris Pratt. It's, uh, it's just gone 3.30, and you're normally out and about somewhere, aren't you, Chris? Yeah, normally sat in a press box somewhere, so this is this is very strange. Yeah, but uh, yeah, good afternoon. And we've also got the man who's not been on for a while. Uh, it is Tom Lang. Hello, Tom. Hi, Luke. Hi, everyone. Dicky, we're uh, we're keeping away for this week, aren't we? He's uh, he's he's dipped out this week. Oh, podcast <laughs> isolation. <laughs> but we do have a we have a special guest. It's some somebody who uh, Rob's always chasing. On a Saturday afternoon, it is all the shot time manager Danny Searle. Hello, Danny. Hi guys, how are you? Very well. You must be sick of hearing Rob's voice, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's my uh, he's my unpaid psychologist on a Saturday after the game when I get to vent to him. So uh, no, he's, he's all good. <laughs> That's why, that's why he lets it all out to us. Then we're like his counsellors. We sit there and we listen to him, don't yeah. we? Don't we, Rob? Usually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not I, wrong. I, you're not wrong. But I do always, uh, I do always uh, stand up and take it, whether it's good or bad. And uh, it's been a, a mixed, a mixed one, as as Danny knows for this season. But uh, great to have you on as a guest, Danny, and uh, particularly at this time as well, just to uh, let the listeners know, really. You're on a uh, precautionary um, self-isolation at the moment, Danny, aren't you? Yeah, I, I, unfortunately, I've, I've ticked most of the symptoms boxes um, and spoken to the, the sort of the health authorities, and yeah, uh, stuck in a room now. This is day seven, so uh, um, it's been it's been it's been a tough one. But um, luckily enough, my family have been great, so they've been looking after me and albeit from the other side of the door but uh but yeah so it's it's not been easy but obviously i know there's people in far worse situation than me so um always looking for the positives and what's your highest score now on the toilet roll keep you up in well i i'm i'm a bit disappointed really i thought it was just do a few kick-ups and 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 maybe catch it or volley it and everyone's taking it to an extreme i think i went a bit too early on it i think i should have waited to see what everyone else had done so I'll definitely get some practicing over the next few days, I think. <laughs> nice one. I bet you fancied that, Rob, haven't you? I bet you've done a few. No, can't get any toilet roll in Sydney, it's Luke. Oh, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> yeah, as, as in most places. Um, Danny, in terms of, um, we'll just, obviously the season's been paused for now. Um, how, how do you feel it's gone so far, your first full season in charge? Yeah, it's been it's been it's been great in a lot of ways and very very testing and difficult in others. I mean, we had a, we had a very um, frustrating start. We 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 tried to to sign a number of players that we kind of targeted once once I've been appointed as manager. But and, and rightly so for those players, they they wanted clarification of exactly where we were going to be playing, whether it's going to be uh, the National League or the National League South and. Although we were confident we could get those players over the line, unfortunately, the, the delay in announcing what the situation was with Gateshead unfortunately led to those players having good offers from other clubs and and we ended up having to kind of go to back to the drawing board and assemble the young squad that we have. So it was a frustrating start. And it, listen, like Robert alluded to earlier, it's been, it's been full of ups and downs. But um, overall, I think the lads have 
have shown a lot of resilience this season. They're developing, they're progressing, and and hopefully we can uh, we can look to build on that for next year. Obviously, you've experienced this level with as a manager with Braintree already. What what were the differences in the challenge that you've uh, faced at Aldershot compared to what you had at Braintree? Well, I mean, it's no secret that I'm really early in my managerial career. I've, I've worked in football a long time, and I think the, the Braintree was an eye-opener in a lot of different ways. I've, I've, I've been fortunate to work at clubs where resources are never an issue, and down to the silly little things like having to make sure you've got enough balls for training and and the cones in, in the right sort of orders for you to go and play in your session and set your session up. I've never ever had to worry about that. And when I took over at Braintree, it was they were in a, they were in bottom place and and, and we we did we did well there and we, we did it well with a, a young squad. And I think that I'm under no disillusion that it was towards the end of the season and we had kind of nothing to really play for in the sense of other than just go and express ourselves and enjoy ourselves. So the pressure was off. So coming to Aldershot um, and it being the start of the season and that pressure of knowing that you're everyone's favourites to go down, um, there's probably a few people behind the scenes that would like us to go down because they don't feel that they should have got the reprieve in the first place. And it was it was hard. And I think that it's a different kind of challenge. The, the, the club expectation from the fans is, is massive. They want to see entertaining football. They want to see their team win and... We knew we were going to be up against it from from day one, with the with the lateness of us putting the squad together. Um, how young we are! I think I think now that um, Jack Powell and Miles Weston have gone back to their clubs, I believe we, we are actually the youngest team in the league. So we we knew we were up against it, but you know, it's it's a great challenge. I've learned so much, and I think that's been probably one of the biggest plus points for me. I've changed from a manager from the day I took over to I am now a different person and. Hopefully, I can keep evolving with this team, and and who knows what what the future holds for us. The season does stop now. You, it's still an improvement on where all the shop finished last season, so it, it's job done in a way, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, look, we, we we got. I, I remember my very first sort of meet the manager fan forum type event, and one of the one of the supporters asked me what what were my targets for the season, and I, I try and break it down into into. Into, into parts of the year, sort of short-term, medium and long-term goals of what I want to achieve for the club. Um, and obviously the, the initial one was to, to get us back to winning at the at the, the EBB because they hadn't done that for a while. Um, we had to wait a little while for that. I think Wrexham at home, we had a, a late winner against them and that kind of set the ball rolling. And we ended up having quite a good home form, quite a good home run. Um, so that was one target we wanted to get right. Obviously, it was basic things: win more games than they won last year, score more goals than they scored last year, try not to concede as many as they they conceded last season, um, put put some some runs together. We went nine unbeaten at home, um, which was which was great for us. And I think that, that they were they were short term targets. We wanted to develop some players as well. Um, we've had that. We helped out. With some of the loan players coming in, we've managed to give debuts to players like Harry Taylor and Rhys Miller. Um, Rhys Wiley's been involved. He's also broke into the England schoolboy setup. And I think, from from my perspective of what my selling point in my job interview was, was about the fact that I want to try and build something that's that's a, a we mentality around the club. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that people are starting to see that with, with the types of work that's going on behind the scenes. It's really interesting um, just listening to you and, and listening to what your targets for the season were there. Um, you know, still seven games left to play if this 
uh, if this season does get finished. And you've already picked up more points, won more games and scored more goals than the club did uh, in the whole of last season. So that's a real um, testament to what you've you've sought to and have achieved at Oldershot Town over the season. If they do move to complete the season, um, do you have a, a league position in mind? Do you have an, an amount of points you'd be looking to get on the board for the rest of the season? I think that if I mean we 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 reckon that probably two wins would would be mathematically safe would would help us to to make sure that we are guaranteed National League football next season depending on obviously what the different permutations are with how the league can potentially finish rather than look at league places and want to kind of look at what what we're going to be doing for next season so looking at some certain players and certain positions there's there's We've had to do a lot of firefighting this season because we've got a small squad and put playing players out of position and, and kind of adapting players to different roles. And I think from my perspective, yes, A, win as many games as we possibly can to the end of the year because oh, we want we want to keep the supporters happy and we want them to be enjoying in their, enjoying their football. Therefore, they'll buy more season tickets for next season and, and that kind of positive circle happens and the budget can hopefully go up, etc., etc., but for me, it's, it's about looking at looking at some of our academy lads, trying to get some more game time for them, because um, that helps with my recruitment, especially with developing young players. And, and yeah, just enjoy the rest of the season. For, to be honest, unselfishly, I, I kind of just want the season to, to continue because there's some there's some big teams that are looking to to progress in this league, and there's some teams that are looking to stay up. And I'd hate for it to end bitterly with someone missing out on something because because of something that was completely out of their control so I think for football for, for football to win it would be great to see the season finish Yeah D- Danny I actually spoke to you at the end of the Stockport game I don't know whether you remember Rob Rob introduced you and we, we had a quick chat now I'm not blowing smoke up your ass but that older <laughs> shot was still one of the best teams I saw. I've seen at Edgeley Park this season. Um, the way you played that day was absolutely fantastic, um, and that set you on a bit of a run. And you went on a run, and that was around about Christmas time, New Year time, where the fixtures are really tightly packed. So, in theory, if the season does finish this year and the, and the fixtures are tightly packed, that might suit you because it seemed to suit the fact that you were you were just going from one game to another kind of thing. Yeah, I, I believe, uh, without finding too many cliches around, the, the, the game is always the teeter. And I think with our young players looking to develop and progress, the more they play, the better they'll get. And we, we, whenever we've had a decent run, it generally comes to an end because we've had a fixture break for whatever reason, whether we were out of the cup or a game was postponed. And it was frustrating because every time we've kind of put two back-to-back wins together, we, we end up with a game afterwards that that's been delayed um, so I, I would agree and obviously thank you for your for your kind words with our performance but we've had we've had a few of those this year and we th- we threatened to have a push uh, on several occasions and I think probably naivety um, from both from the players and myself at times we've, we've, we've failed to really kick on from that I think the biggest one was how long we took to try and replace uh, Max Hunt and Jack Powell when they left I think we, we, we suffered when they went and it was hard because you're trying to find players to, of, of that quality to replace them on, on a very very tight budget and I think that we, we probably moved a bit too slow on that and that's that's something that I've got to learn from as as a new manager and 
But I, I, from our perspective, yeah, I mean, seven games. My, my lads have played seven games in seven days. They, they're so hungry to play that I, I, it wouldn't bother us how they, they end up restructuring at the, the end of the season. Rob, you've got to improve now with all that praise being handed out. I'm just thinking if he if if if, if they play seven games in seven days, I'm not doing the match previews or the program articles anymore. <laughs> I just won't be able to keep up with it. But um, no, um, Danny, question from me. Um, obviously, over the last week or so, with the um, development of the of the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, there's been a lot of communications from different clubs, some of them in kind of full panic mode and, and, and one or two others a little bit more measured. Um, what are your own thoughts on how uh, you at Aldershot have handled it and also on some of the calls that are going up for an injection of cash to help the sides in the National League and below to, to get through this time? Yeah, I think one of the things that impressed me when when I first sort of had my induction to the club was that, that how they were trying to make the club sustainable without losing money. And and obviously my job is to play a part of that with not overspending on the budget. So um, we've looked at it, and the chairman came out and said that we've we've saved four hundred thousand pounds from this previous season, and that obviously means that it's going to be a tough year for us. So we knew that, that we were in a sustainable position, not knowing, obviously, what was around the corner with regards to the current current events. So we, we sat down as a staff um, and we looked at what's, what's, what's the most important thing and the survival of your club and, and, and the, for the community. Because Aldershot is, is, is Aldershot. The, 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 the people in the, the local community, they, they thrive off it. Local businesses thrive when the team's at home. So... We tried to do our little bit. We've agreed to to take um, to take a pay cut. That's all the staff and all the players, and and, and try to help save pennies um, where we can to to help with with any outstanding bills that the club need to pay or or, or future investment they need to make in facilities, etc. So we 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 tried from that perspective. I think the, the the statement from the government yesterday was an amazing one. I know that not everyone's happy because. There are people that are self-employed, and there are question marks around those getting financial support. But from our perspective, it, it should help us as a club. The fans have been unbelievable, and and I think if you went and spoke to most clubs, they're they're, they're all doing their best to, to try and help and support their their, their, their football team, and and I don't think that'll be any different everywhere you go and I just hope that the, everyone sticks by it and stays together and don't and I know it sounds easy for me to say I'm sitting in a quarantine room which I've been locked in for six days but try not to panic and there is always a way and football historically has always found a way to, to, to look after itself as, as has a life so everything will be okay and as Rob knows and I'm sure he'll vouch for I'm, I'm quite a positive person and as long as people are sensible and Try and do the right things. We we we'll get through it and we'll get the season finished. And and it might might not look quite as the same as it normally does, but we'll we'll get there in the end. What you say there is is probably spot on. I mean, you typically the football league insists that the season is completed by the first of June. They've scrapped that uh, they've scrapped that law rule this season, um, which certainly indicates that they're going to look to finish the season um, when they can. Uh, 
In terms of managing your squad and managing your players through that period, let's say they're able to finish the season in July, for example, um, what players are going to be in isolation, they're going to be quarantined, they're going to struggle, you know, gyms are closed. How, as a club, are you trying to manage the, the, the team and the squad ready for if the football season does start again on potentially quite short notice? Well, I, and without going too much into detail on, on, on the way I recruit, players um one of the biggest things that i've said all along is that i recruit a person first before the player and, and, and a part of that is a trust element we have to trust them so we set gym programs we set um small pitch based drills and exercises that they can do if they've got a, even if it's a 10 by 10 guard and we've got things that they can be working on and i'm, I'm big on that i'm big on individual development i'm big on marginal gains and doing those little bit of extras and I have to trust that those players are doing that and and make sure, making sure that they're ready and without sounding a bit too brutal, I'll know if they've done it or they haven't done it and if they haven't done it then they won't play and I think that's 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 the kind of environment that we've got, we know that you've got to do the work and especially us because we, we haven't got the finances to go and, and, and spend money on players with the experience that can probably um, through their knowledge and understanding, be able to work their way through a game with that little bit of lack of fitness. We haven't got that. We we need all our players firing on all cylinders. So, and that word comes up all the time at our club, and that's trust. So, we we've put off season plans in place already, in the sense of if the season finished at its normal time. So all we've done is kick those in a couple of months early. So it's almost like a mini pre-season off-season for the lads, and we're we're going to kind of try and drip feed some stuff back in hopefully once 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 we've all been through our 14 days that we can kind of try and get out on the grass and, and, and do even if it's one session a week um, depending on what happens over the next sort of two to three weeks with with the government regulations so but it's, it's, it's not it's not going to be easy it's it's going to be it's going to be tough for the lads but you know sometimes you, you, you need to have experienced things like this to realize a what you had B, what you've got now and how you how you have to work through that and C, making sure that plans and contingencies are put in place that, God forbid, anything like this ever happens again, you're in a, you're in a better place. And, um, in terms of the season then, Danny, I mean, as Tom mentioned, the, the EFL said that they wanted to finish as do the Premier League, which obviously has a filter down effect because... Uh, we've not heard what the National League's thoughts are yet. Somebody came out this week and said the National League probably need about... 25 million in support for the clubs um so we don't know if the season's going to be null and void if it's carrying on in effect then if the efl carries on and the national league doesn't then you've got stevenage you don't get relegated and barrow don't get promoted and as we kind of mentioned last week in our podcast there's a lot of um, legal wranglings that come out of that then yeah i, th- I mean look, I, I i i really like ian ever i think he's done an amazing job at barrow and I've, I've lent on him a few times this year, and I hope he hope he doesn't mind me saying so. That there's a couple of times when I've kind of been been stuck, and I'm happy to admit that. And I've needed someone to kind of just reassure me a little bit, and Ian's always picked the phone up and and, and and sort of entertained those conversations. And I think it'd be a tragedy if if they were to finish top of the league that they didn't get promoted. Um, personally, I'm sure I might upset a few people. I, I want them to win it. I think the the, the type of team and, and the way they play, I, I think that they're, they're kind of almost like a hybrid side. They, they've got such great ability to, to 
do both sides of the game. They can have a big physical fight and tussle if they want on. And they've also got the ability to play you off the park. So if they were to not go up, uh, I think it would be a, a travesty. And I don't know how how they can work it, the leagues. And I know you're saying 25 million. I mean, wow. I, I think that they just go to show some of the money that's been spent in this league. And 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 I think from a from a club, from a manager of a club that's nowhere near those kind of high echelons of, of budgets I think that we would we would be happy with just making sure that our players get paid and, and what not from an investment perspective and I think that most clubs should be so whatever it takes to get the, get the football being played and, and and what not that I think that needs to be done um, I know I've heard people say about playing behind closed doors etc and if you get an injection of money I suppose I know the fans do lose out or the supporters do lose out but I think that whatever it takes to make sure that our clubs have got the opportunity to get promoted. Just uh, to clarify for the listeners what's kind of being discussed, there's no formal announcements, but uh, it was the Dagenham managing director, Steve Thompson, that uh, said there needs to be a concentrated effort. Um, On Tuesday, the Football League announced it would release a £50 short-term relief fund to help its club with cash flow issues because of the coronavirus pandemic. Thompson said the National League is not in a position to be able to offer a relief package to its members, but said substantial funds are needed. Uh, The National League apparently trying to pull figures together. This can't be set in stone, but the the sort of figures he was hearing was 15 to 20 million. And the biggest worry, he says, is that so many league clubs, not just the National League, are integral parts of their community the fabric of their community. And it worries me, if these clubs are lost, what will happen? Barnett, who, like Dagenham, play in the top tier of the National League, um, he said they've gone from having a reasonable income to no income, and that is a massive, massive job. I think the government realises that when we do eventually get through this, non-league clubs and League One and League Two clubs are going to be part of the fight back for our communities I think that is recognised exactly how that support can be given. I don't know. And that's from uh, the BBC Sport webpage. Yeah, and I think that goes back to what you said, Danny, about what the government said yesterday. I mean, it's it's vital that we get some sort of figures together. And like you say, if they can get enough money where they say, look, we will have to do it behind closed doors, but then if clubs don't lose out, then so be it in a way, I suppose. Look, the, the, the ideal situation is that, that clubs get some financial support, the league can resume, the, fa- the fans and the supporters can get to their grounds and watch the games. We, we don't know if that's definitely going to happen. We don't know that it's not going to happen. And I think we, we all find ourselves in uncharted waters because I'm happy to be to be um, corrected on this, but I don't think there's been a break in, in English football since the World War. And uh, so nobody really knows what what's, what's happening and what's going on. And I think from our perspective, rather than everyone focusing on all the, all the negative side of it, that, oh, we can't do this, we can't do this. It's trying to find a way of how can we, how can everyone be kept happy and how can we try to um, appease all the situations with regards to making sure that the clubs that have invested in their team this year, this year the clubs that have done the work to get themselves into a position, whether it's through recruitment or through their coaching and through their management in the situation where there's an opportunity for them to get promoted, we've got to find a way to make sure that that happens and granted we might have to break a few eggs along the way 
but I think that from a from a government perspective, they've they've massively backed every every industry, and and said that listen, we will help. From a football league and a Premier League perspective, would it be great if they helped us out and put some money down to our level? Yes. Realistically, do they have to do it? No. It's not their it's not their responsibility. It's not their obligation. So anything that did come our way would be a bonus. From an FA perspective, you'd probably say that they would be the ones that we would potentially look to because our league that we play in the National League theoretically is the highest level of, I hate to say grassroots football because it, it makes it sound like we, 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 we don't pay our players or, or whatnot, but it's the highest level of football that's not officially a professional league. So I'm confident that, that everyone will be able to survive financially and I know there's some clubs trying to cut their, their cloth now but like I've already said, I'm not sure it's panic stations just yet because, like I said, people will always find a way. Um, one of the questions that often rears its head when the financial issues lower down the pyramid are raised is around the potential obligation of the clubs at the, at the elite level of the sport. Um, you look at the players that have come through from the non-league system, um, not just the likes of a Jamie Vardy or a Chris Smalling who made their way up organically from non-league but also the, the the top level professional clubs frequently use the non-league environment as a way to to strengthen their players and to get the match experience do you agree with the statement that is often repeated that there is an obligation on those clubs in the premier league to, to help to ensure the survival of those further down the pyramid it's so hard I, i've had this debate so many times obviously I've, I've been fortunate enough to work in premier league clubs and I don't think people really actually know exactly how much money the Premier League invests in in, in football, not just at, at the highest level, but the lower levels. They invest extortionate amounts of money and they get criticised a lot. And I've, I've been fortunate enough to sit on panels for the Premier League and be in meetings with some of the high authorities at, at that level. And the amount of investment they do give is is so high. The, the issue we have with, with English football is that if you look at the amount of clubs in the Premier League that are actually owned by English-based uh, uh, businesses or, or chairmen, there's very little and, and very few. So there is an argument that they own the business, it's their company, um, they've, got no, they've got no allegiance to have to give any money to help support lower-level clubs or, or whatnot. And to be honest with you, although the Premier League is the... The, the juggernaut of, of English football it's not actually at the governing body it's an actual separate entity so I'm probably not going to win any hand over by saying it if they decided they didn't really want to help out then there's not really too much people can say because what just just because they've got lots of money yes they've got a lot of money but they also they also generate astronomical amounts of jobs and and, and whatnot for, for lots of people in and around the local areas and communities as well. So it is, is a really tough one. And with regards to them loaning players to this sort of level, well, we get a massive advantage of that as well. Generally, they don't really charge you a lot for having their players and they give you their... their, their it's, it's such, such swings and roundabouts. And I, I genuinely believe that we will get some funding from, from the, those, kind of, those kind of areas of, of the game. But do I feel they have to do it? Not sure. I'm not sure about that one. 
I, th- I think uh, what would be nice to come out of this, I, I totally agree, they, they don't have to do it, it would be nice, especially in the, in these times, is if if anything came out of this, a, a closer bond between non-league clubs and their local Premier League or Football League um, clubs in, in the area. I know a lot of them are rivals, um, obviously I know Stockport County, Oldham, Stockport County, Manchester City, believe it or not, are still... They're still rivals, but um, but for a lot of non-league clubs, it'd be nice to have closer links um, with with those clubs. And a kind of a, a, a in situations like this where the the local clubs helps each other out. Yeah, I I, I genuinely believe that will happen. Um, and yeah. I, I wasn't being trying to be too cynical about about my previous comments. I, I, all I was saying was I, I I don't think that it's fair to say they have to do it. But yeah, I genuinely yeah. think I, I genuinely think they will do it, and I think you look at the the reaction. Uh, this is this is this is a massive world tragedy. What's going on at the minute with regard to the amount of people that are losing their lives and uh, what's happening to the economies all over the world, and it is is not very nice for, for hundreds of millions of people. However, what has started to show is you know what when people want a club together and, and the community needs to come together to help each other and and I see a lot of negativity on, on social media and in the press but you know what I've seen a, all, a hell of a lot of positive stuff come out as well with young people going and doing shopping for older people in the areas and and, and clubs coming together to donate food and stuff to, to food banks and there's I know that Gary Neville his hotel group have opened their, their hotel up for for the NHS staff, Wembley have done the same, Chelsea have done the same, Man City and Man United have come together to help with, with the homeless and, and I just I look at it and I think, you know what, actually football's more than just, just a game. It's it is it is a life for a lot of people and it is people's lives. And one thing that always comes comes to the forefront is how unified we can be when it comes to rolling our sleeves up and, and getting getting down and dirty with what needs to be done to make sure that everyone gets through what they need to get through. Definitely. And in, in terms of, I know you gave a brilliant speech the other week about uh, mental health and, and the mental health that you'd suffered. I mean, it, it's going to be tough for, for a lot of people who are used to their routines on Saturday. And like you say, people who only know the, the football club and, and nothing else really. And um, it's, yeah, it's going to be hard for everyone, isn't it? In that, uh, in that sense, because um, <clears throat> obviously We've heard from you from a different perspective, but you hear from a lot of managers, and all they talk about is football. And sometimes it'd be difficult to just for it to just stop like that. It's going to be hard for a lot of people, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think from a manager's perspective, there, there's still things that we can be doing. So I'm, I'm, I'm going through player profiles. I'm putting together what a preseason might look like if we ever get a chance to have one. Um, we, we, I've, I've still got stuff I can do, although I'm not out on the grass, which is where I like to be. This, this still, I still can get my football fix. Um, from a, from a supporter's perspective, it, it, it's going to be really tough, and I think that's why I think over the next probably week to ten days, people have got to try and come up with ways in which we can still bring that kind of that. I don't know what the buzz about it. I know that clubs are trying to be fit for tournaments and. For me, if you're going to do it, televise it. I don't know how you do it. You live stream it or whatever. It's not the same, but it's still, it adds a little bit of, the, I hate the word, to be honest, but a little bit of banter between supporters. Um, I know that clubs have been playing um, Connect Four online and there's been some um, some great initiatives. 
so there are ways to which we can still get that little bit of a fix without actually obviously getting the the real thing and i think from 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 our perspective football is a quite a creative environment and i'm sure through the, the the means of social media and all the all the all the avenues in which you can make contact with people now they'll come up with something to help people get through those situations but if there are people that are struggling and it is it is solely their life then um well you can bore the life out of me if you want get on on social media i get talking i did a fans question and answer last night um and some of the questions I was being asked was, was a little bit out of left field, I'd say. It was probably. But you know what? At least we were talking and it was people, it took up a couple of hours of my time, a couple of hours of their time. And you have to keep talking and keep communicating. And you know what? People are out there and they want to talk. One of the sort of social media um, trends I've seen in the last few days to try and while away those footballless hours has been people to, to pick one game from their football watching or playing life to relive. Um, if there was one game that you could think of for your, from your career, uh, either manager or, managing or playing, which one would that be if, uh, if you were to watch that on loop forever? <laughs> um, wow. Um, that's a, do you know what? I'd probably go back to um, the 1991 FA Cup quarterfinal between West Ham and Everton. Um, we were we were in league. Oh, just so anyone knows, I'm, I'm a West Ham fan. Um, <laughs> we were in league. We were in the, the, the second division, whatever it was then. Um, and we played Everton at Upton Park, and we beat, beat them two one to get through to the FA Cup semi final. It, it was a fantastic. I, I loved the semi final, although we got beat four 0 by Forest. Um, that night, I, I could watch that over and over again. Stuart Slater scored a great goal. I think Colin Foster scored a almost like a side, sidewinder volley and yeah it was it was a fantastic night of football and under the lights at Upton Park there wasn't many better places to be fair I remember listening to that one because I'm an Everton fan <laughs> I can remember now <laughs> listening to that on the radio Apolo- and it, apologies no that's not right. <laughs> I was trying to pick out it was, it was Stuart Slater wasn't it he had a he had a yeah. blinder that day if I remember yeah, rightly yeah little one bottom left of the keeper uh, and then yeah, but no, it, 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 was, it was a great night for me. As a, as a, I'd, I'd never had. A, I was a little bit young for the uh, for the '81 Cup final, so it was um, it was a, my first real taste of a real good cup run. Um, having seen us get absolutely battered by teams like Luton and Oldham over the past, so it was it was great. And um, I don't know if you remember, it was a famous cup final where Keith Hackett sent off Tony Gow in about five seconds or whatever it was. Um, and yeah, we ended up we ended up getting beat four 0 by what was a an unbelievable night in the Forest team. To be fair, now I'm going to get a little bit of revenge in for Chris here. I'm going to join in this game. <laughs> the night I the night I'd go back to would be in 2011, and it was at Upton Park, and it was all the shot against West Ham in <laughs> in the League Cup. And all the shot one nil down, um, going towards the final 20 minutes. Uh, got themselves level uh, with a Luke Guttridge goal. And I remember just thinking to myself, oh, come on, boys, come on, boys, hold on. We we deserve extra time. It would be so good. And then in the 89th minute, Danny Hilton crashed one in in front of 2,000 fans. And the reason I've picked this, because, Danny, I, I, I don't know if you, you, you probably wouldn't have been there that night, were you? Yeah, no, yeah, I was there, yeah. 
you were there. And, and <laughs> yeah. it, it, it was like really bizarre, wasn't it? Because I know West Ham obviously fielded a bit of a weakened side, but it still had seven internationals in it. But the interesting thing from the managerial perspective, it was the master and the pupil, wasn't it? It was Dean Holdsworth went back to the man who taught him everything he knew, Sam Allardyce, uh, and he got one over on his old gaffer. Yeah, I, I think I've, I've, I've spoke, I speak very highly of Sam Allardyce, to be honest. Um, he's, 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 a, he's, a great, he's a great leader. Um, I know he's not everyone's cup of tea, and I'm, I'm sure that it's well, well publicised. He's made some interesting decisions in the last sort of five to ten years, but he, he's a great guy. But it, for me, they, they deserved it. I thought the, the spirit and the the, um, the desire of that team that night and the resilience they showed because there was large patches of that game where it could have been put out of sight to be honest, but then yeah. they didn't allow that to happen. And so when if you'd have said to me then, by the way, one day you'll be managing that team, I think I'd have uh, I'd have I'd have, I'd have sent you to, to an asylum of some sort because uh, <laughs> that would definitely have, that definitely would have been a, a, a dream job and. Fortunate to be in that situation now, and um, I'd love nothing better than to not West Ham out of a cup in the near future. So ho- <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully that'll, ha- that'll that'll come to fruition. Love it, Danny. Cheers. Nice one. Sorry to spring that one on you, but uh, literally, I don't, are we all going to play, Tom? Uh, Luke, have you got one in your mind? Uh, well, for me, it's I've, I I think football. The happiest memories you'll ever have of football, no matter what happens in the rest of your life, or when you were a kid and first really engaging with loving the sport. And for me, uh, as a 10-year-old at the time, Euro 96, um, being in the playground, swapping the football stickers for the album, it was just uh, like it was just the most amazing summer. And so for me, it would be the England 4, Netherlands 1. I could just watch that again and again and again. It was a perfect display of attacking football. Um, we, you know, potentially intentionally let in Clivert's goal at the end to knock Scotland out yeah. as well. Um, I just, yeah, that was Sheeran, Sheeran and Double, wasn't it? Sheeran, the game. SAS, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Watching that, that was when football peaked for me. Um, you know, as an England fan, we generally have a rougher ride than a lot of countries do in terms of trying to support our country. And that was just, um, yeah, oh, could watch it all day, every day. Wonderful that you picked an England game, Tom. Was it that you just couldn't remember any great nights for Plymouth? Oh, there have been, there have been <laughs> days, of, days of David Frio and uh, Roman Lariu in championships and great times. They are. Good retort. Good retort. And what about you, Luke? Well, obviously, um, say if Tom's going down the England route, then obviously Germany won England 5 was a, a decent one, wasn't it? Um, in Germany, in Munich... I uh, remember he fell behind, didn't he? And then Michael Owen hat-trick, I think, if I remember rightly. Yeah. Even Heskey scored. Yeah, and, uh, yeah Ger- I think... Gerard, oh, Gerard. It was all five, was all five <clears throat> Liverpool players. Uh, all five goals were Liverpool players, weren't they? That was it, yeah. Yeah, yeah Gerard, Gerard outside the foot volley, I think, which just sort of curled around into the corner. Bizarre. Yeah. I, I remember that game. I was actually playing for Barking at the, site, at the time, and we watched that game in the clubhouse we'd, we'd, we'd just finished the game and we went in and we sat in there and we went one nil down and literally we all started picking our bags up just to say oh do you know what we can't be bothered and then it sort of went yeah one all two one three one four and we thought yeah do you know what we might just stay and and, and, and carry on watching Make- this one this could be it could be a good night 
make a bit of a night of it. Yeah, I believe it or not, bizarrely, I was in Austria that night. I had an Austrian girlfriend for about nine months. And uh, I watched the game <laughs> in a bar in Austria. And every time England scored, the bar erupted with Austrians. They hated Germany. They really wanted England to win. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. it was that I don't sort know why. of the, the big neighbour envy. <laughs> I think it might be the big neighbour envy. Something to do with that. Yeah. yeah. And the, they tried to take the country over at one point. But what yeah, that? I think, yeah. And speaking of comparison, you know, Barky in Austria, it's it's... Yeah, there's, 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 there's a lot of similarities there as well. If you're talking well, about a club point of view, then obviously um, it was retweeted, I think, this week. Um, obviously, the, the team I support, Hyde United, they won at Luton. Um, I think about, well, when was it? Five, six years ago this time, this week? Uh, Scott Hogan was. Time, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Scott Hogan was up front. I don't know what happened to him, right? But uh, anyway, uh, no, but Scott Hogan played, and uh, I remember they won two one at Luton. John Still was managing Luton. He got booed off, uh, and then we went and beat Wrexham on the the week after they won the trophy. So it was a good sort of two weeks, really. But yeah, that'll be mine. And when Hyde got about twenty seven thousand followers on Twitter within a week, didn't they? After a couple of amusing posts, Do you remember that? Yeah, well, they're back up to uh, they're back up to thirty now, I think. So they're doing all right for themselves. They're actually playing a virtual. They're actually doing a virtual match day experience this afternoon, which is really took off. Um, I'm, I'm sure that's something that some clubs will follow, where you can buy like virtual pies and virtual pints, and then the stream in a virtual game. So, uh, yeah, like yeah. Danny said, that's something similar to consider. I think it's nil nil at the moment, Luke. I just checked. <laughs> 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 yeah. um, I'm here, not watching it. Yeah. I think mine would be, um, just so you don't leave me out, um, is the 1987 FA Cup final, Coventry City 3, Tottenham Hotspur 2. Because for me, that was when the FA Cup was at its absolute most magical. And that was a tremendous game. I can remember all the ga- all the goals now. And obviously that was Keith Houchin's diving header, Gary Mabbott's own goal um, that, that sealed it for Coventry City, John Sillett jumping up and down. And I don't know why I don't support either of those two teams. It just really... Really captured my imagination that day, and um, I think that's what it was probably at its peak then. The FA Cup final, I re- always remember remember that one. I thought it was a that was a great one. That was when uh, that that you mentioned Clive about Allen, Clive oh, Allen broke the record, didn't he? That was we didn't score forty something goals that season. That was I remember that because they were sort of saying, "Oh, Coventry yeah. have got a chance because Clive Allen's on fire." He's, he's, he, Give him a chance. He's gonna he's gonna destroy him. And I remember I remember that game really well. My my family are half. I'm, we stand in the middle. I've got a big family. It's Tottenham West Ham. So um, yeah, I remember that game. Great great cup final. Yeah. In fact, I th- did Clive Allen not score his fiftieth goal in the final? Or am I right? It was yeah, something think, like. Think, yeah, no, I think he did. Yeah, yeah I think you were. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. It's funny you mentioned about Gary Mabbitt's it's funny you mentioned about Gary Mabbitt, Chris, because Coventry then named a fanzine after and called Gary Mabbitt's right knee. So, <laughs> and not only that, not only that, but 12 months later, I'm sure it was 12 months later, the FA Cup got even more magical because the cup winners, Coventry, were knocked out by Sutton United. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. That was their that was their glory day, wasn't it? Yeah. Fantastic stuff. One more question for Danny, if that's all right. Obviously, you know, we, we all hope that the season is concluded, but um, even as it is, we're, we're a good 85% through the year. Which players have, um, have really stood out from the teams you've played against? Now, obviously, um, there's 
one young player in particular of your team that, that we've talked about a number of times on this podcast, but who, when you face them, has really surprised you or, or made you think that person should be playing at a high level? Um, they, I, I think that one of the biggest surprises for me when I started to, to manage at this level was how good some of the players are and how lucky the clubs are to have players of that quality because you... you, you you, there's an almost a snobbery when you're working at the higher level that you look at. I, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it. I don't know anything about non-league football. I, I played in it, but I didn't really. I don't really follow it, or I hadn't really followed it. So when I when I got the job and and we, we took some games, some of the, the level of players, and I think that's been proven by the, how many have moved on even this season in the January transfer window. The level of the players that that, that are in this league and. I'm a massive fan of, of, and Ian will probably kill me for this, and he already had a dig at me online last night, but um, I'm a massive fan of John Rooney. I think he, he, he's, he's a tremendous footballer. He's, he's a leader. He's got so many great attributes, and I think he, he's one that sticks out for me. I've always been a fan of Kabamba, and it doesn't shock me that he's gone to Kilmarnock and he's carried on just scoring goals. Um, same club, I liked Kyoso, I liked Torre. Um, I think Torre's a, a really exciting lad, and he's he's got such great um, technical ability for, for for a lad who's so big. Um, and don't wow, tell him any others. Don't tell him any others, <laughs> Danny, because you might want to sign him for next season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I said to Ian yesterday. He said about keep your hands off. I said I'm not <laughs> too sure that the attraction we, of the National League will be that impressive when he's in League Two. But uh, yes. yeah, but. Um, no, I think there's there's been there's been a lot of of good young players. I mean, Butman's done a great job at, um, mm. at Sutton so, this season, and I'm, I'm a big fan of Ben Killip, the, the the keeper. I think he's he's a tremendous talent, and he's got a lot of uh, a lot a lot of uh, bright bright things to happen in his future. So uh, there's, there's there's so many. I mean, and as I said, I'm, I'm actually bordering on going into my um, wanted list now, so I'll probably stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we quickly should we quickly go around and uh, see who we think then? I mean, what about you, Rob? Well, Danny's hit on a couple that I've definitely appreciated throughout the season for sure. Um, I think it's really noticeable that some of the top scoring strikers in the National League this year were playing one division below last year, and they've stepped up and made uh, you know made easy work of it. Reese Murphy, obviously. Springs to mind. I think he's got everything at this level for a striker. Defensively, um, one or two have already moved up, haven't they, as well? Um, come back to me in a minute. I'll have a little think on that. Anybody else got one ready to go? Tom, you must have. <laughs> um, I actually, I'd agree with Danny on Harry Beaterman. I think he's been really, really impressive for Sutton. Um, I've also liked David Adjaboy, who they brought in from Worthing. Uh, I think he's the second top dribbles maker in the division, despite usually only coming on as a substitute for the first half of the season. In, in general, though, um, you know, the guys on the podcast know I, I absolutely love to watch Ethan Chisley. I watched him for quite a few times at Met Police over the last two seasons as well. I think he's an absolute star in the making. But probably Jack, uh, Jake Hyde, I think, to have scored 17 league goals for a very, very unfancied Woking team. Um, and I, he's not someone that I've really been too impressed with in the past. But something about his game this year, he's just added a little bit of extra power and, and also a little bit more finesse in the final third. And he's had a fantastic season. I thought of the other player, I was trying to think of a young player who'd come up a level and done well. 
and uh, the boys from the podcast team will know that it's one I always harp on about. Now, Danny, you managed to, you know, Aldershot managed to keep him quiet twice, but Kabongo, Shimanga, you know, to have got 20-odd goals in the National League South last year and then be on 16 at this stage as well, having stepped up for, to, you know, for Borenwood, uh, really, really impressive. And he's a guy who, whatever level he's played, has always scored goals. And you'll probably know this, Danny, but back in the day when he was at MK Dons playing for their youngsters, he was setting all sorts of scoring records. And he came out to Aldershot on loan then, but um, apparently didn't look all that good in training and he got hardly any pitch time. Um, as you and I have discussed many, many times this season, it's not actually what you do on training that really counts. It's it's what you how you take that into a match day, isn't it? Oh, I think we'd have won the league if it was about training, because we were yeah. unbelievable in training. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that when when you've got... There's two positions uh, for me that if if you can if you can do it consistently at, at our level, you could probably transfer that into a high level, and that's a goalkeeper. I think is, is the keeper because one thing you you are you're bombarding in this league, and if you can handle that, then your distribution's good and your and your shot stopping's good. I think that you quite comfortably could step up through the levels. And for me, finishers are finishers, and if you get a chance and you're playing with players that you might not get as many chances at this level as you would if you was in League 2, League 1, Championship, etc. I think you, if you can finish, you can finish. And I think Vardy's proved that when he's moved up. I mean, I'm going back a long time now, but you look at the year and rights of the world and whatnot. If, they, they, if you're a goal scorer, you're a goal scorer. And we, 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 we've obviously suffered with that this season. We've not really hit the ground running and... And I have to 100% agree with Rob. I mean, you watch our forwards in training and we talk about mindsets and psychology and whatnot. There's there's definitely some kind of barrier there at the minute because we we, we do all kinds of finishing practices and Shimango is, is yeah he's, he's a handful. We we were quite good with him this year. We we kept him very quiet, um, but you can clearly see his attribution, his qualities. Yeah, for so me. Funny yeah. enough, dude, just before, sorry, Chris, just before we go on sure. to yours, is a story Micah Richards tells when Sergio Aguero first went to City and he said, and in training he hardly did anything and he's like, what, what's this we've bought? And then obviously the rest is history. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you've got loads of different types of players. I, 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 I happily take one who looks like a bag of the proverbial in training and then just turns it on when he plays games. The utopia is they do both, but, um, no, I think that there are certain players that you know what they just they they know what they've got to do in training to maintain their fitness levels, and they they've got a focus for all they want to do is play matches and score goals and or keep clean sheets or whatever the position it is they play. And I think that that, that that's something as a manager that you, you can't you can't force that either. If if they train in a certain way and it works for them to perform on a week week weekend or or midweek, then you've got to embrace that and and help nurture that and I think that's where management's so great is that you get to adapt to lots of different players and lots of different personalities and, and, and types and it's it's just it, it tests you every day and, and those sort of players are out there and yeah I wouldn't mind one I'll, I'll take one that doesn't train very well and scores 25 goals a season and if you've got him on your books then I'm happily pay a fee for him <laughs> that's fine 
Yeah, Chris? for me, uh, Rob, you nicked him. Shimango was absolutely awesome when I saw him. I, you guys had spoken about him so much, and I was looking forward to seeing him, and I wasn't disappointed. His movement, his centre of gravity, his balance is just fantastic. And, um, yeah, he really impressed me this season. Um, looking at young players in general, we mentioned him last week, Callum Roberts, uh, just moved to Notts mm. County from, from oh, Blythe. Yeah. What a player he is. He's absolutely exceptional. I think we all agree he could probably play at a higher level and probably will be playing at a higher level quite soon. He's uh, he's fast. His movement's fantastic. Um, really, really good player there. And in terms of young players, I just want to throw this in. He might not have had the best game. He probably played when, when he played all the shot. But uh, Festus Arthur, centre-half at, at Stockport County, is destined for, for big things. He's already... Massive, and he's he's uh, he's only a 19, I think, and uh, he's been a rock in the in the um, central defence for Stockport character this season. Albeit he's not in the side at the minute after uh, Liam Hogan joined from um, Salford City. Right, we might have put that one in the book, Rob. Yeah, we're we'll not making a little note of that one. And uh, someone who someone final one from me, someone who really really impressed me last uh, Saturday. And I had to question, what on earth is he doing playing in this league? But Jordan Williams at Fylde, I thought was absolutely outstanding against Aldershot last week. Um, pulling all the strings, making it happen. Big, strong, mobile, pinging it round everywhere. Um, he had a very, very good game on the day, didn't he, Danny? Yeah, I think that, that the, these players, it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because you, you've got some very talented players and... I think the reason they end up playing in this league is because they probably get paid more money than they would if they went into League Two. Um, some of the clubs that they're at, and you, 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 when you're when you're at that sort of stage of your career, you you, you have got to pay bills and, and try and save some money. And, and I think that that's just a um, a real sort of advert for how competitive this league is when you've got players. I mean, that Callum Roberts, correct for him if I'm wrong. Didn't he when, didn't he make a, an appearance in the Premier League last season? Um, is that, is that the right lad? Are we talking about he, he, um, he was definitely top scorer for Newcastle United's under 23s last season. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm positive he played in the Premier League for for Newcastle at some point last season. I might I might be wrong, but now he's 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 obviously he's playing for Notts County. Who, who I, I mean, myself and Bob had discussed Notts County the other day, and I mean they're not a national league. I know they they obviously are a national league side, but they're not. I mean, everything about them. You, you look at them and you think they, um, they hopefully they do everyone a favour and get promoted because uh, um, that was a definitely a tough tough place to go. But he, yeah, he was he, he was he was very good, Callum, against us, and um, what a signing that is. And when you work when you're a club of that size and you, you can you can you've got that appeal and that attraction to go and play for them, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, and I mean I. Uh... I was really impressed with Devante Rodney when he played at Halifax uh, the other week. And also, I've seen Liam McAlinden a couple of times. He was at Halifax start of the season. Now he's at Stockport County. He's made a massive difference for them. And like you say, Shimanga as well is a standout, as well as Callum Roberts. I've seen Callum Roberts play for Blythe as well. So um, he's made the step up effort- effortlessly. So, well, Danny, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no worries. Brilliant. Oh no, brilliant! And we'll, we'll be looking to do this every week. Try and get a different uh, person from a national league club, on, whether it be a manager, player, fan, chairman, owner. Uh, we'll look to do that, guys. Um, Tom, Chris, Rob, thanks very much. Yeah, cheers, cheers Luke. Luke.
Cheers, Luke, and thanks, Danny. You've set the bar high for any future guests that come on. Uh, really, <laughs> really, really engaging stuff. And, uh, well, I hope that uh, we'll see you sooner rather than later. Yeah, no, cheers, guys. I really appreciate it. Don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter at NL Full Timing. Follow us on iTunes and Spotify. Until then, stay safe, uh, look after yourself, wash your hands, and we'll see you all very soon.